Welcome to the High at Nine News Hour, where you will hear from cannabis industry experts and professionals from around the country talk about important topics while shining light on global issues and discussing cannabis as it relates to politics, regulation and reform, data and technology, science, research and medicine, family and parenting, art, celebrities and entertainment, fitness, sports, mental health and wellness and plant-based medicines and entheogenics. Together, we are building a stronger community, fighting the stigma and creating change. With your hosts, Jason Beck and Rico Lamite, joined by special industry expert correspondents from around the country and daily antics brought to you by Cannabis. Coming to you live every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific time and high noon on the East Coast. And thank you all for getting high at nine with us. Oh, yeah. Good morning, everybody. Hope everybody is having an amazing day today. Today is Tuesday, February 7th. Today is National. What, 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 what? It switched on me. Holy shit. Holy shit. You know what? Today is National Periodic Table Day, National Fettuccine Alfredo Day, and it is National. Send a, this is Gretchen's favorite day, it must be because it's national send a card to a friend day. That's right. Thank you all for joining us and getting high at nine with us. It's also high noon on the East Coast. And please remember to like, share, and subscribe to us on all social media platforms. You can use that QR code right there in the top left of your screen to find where we live at on all these social media sites. And we're live every Monday through Friday on YouTube right here. And make sure you hit that subscribe button and audio only on Clubhouse. And if you are joining us in Clubhouse, you can also participate in the show by raising your hand if you have a brief comment on the story most recently presented. We're going to kick this show off today. We're going to go. We're going to start with ladies first today. That's right. Oh, yeah. We're going to start with ladies first today. She's a political strategist by day and a baker by night. A true female multitask her who can not only bake up a storm, but knows how to make the sausage on Capitol Hill. That's right. She's the founder of Panoptic Strategies and our very own Washington Insider, taking off the apron and throwing it on her dogs because she loves to dress them up. It is none other than the Gretchen Gailey. Good afternoon, and yes, Jason, I do love a card. I'm actually working on my Valentine's uh, for all of my lady friends. And Jason Beck, if I get 100 bucks, I might send you a Valentine. We'll see. So you only send Valentine's to your lady friends, huh? Well, yes, it's called Valentine's Day. Hello, get on board. Valentine's Day. Oh, boy. Anyway, my headline today, Sean, you'll like that it's not coming from Marijuana Moment. It is coming from WRGB Albany. And my headline is Cannabis Law Loophole Leads to Unregulated Sticker Stores Robbing New York of Revenue. They are called sticker stores and one could pop up near you at any time. They are unlicensed retail operations that sell cannabis products. They are also unregulated and they are not providing any revenue to the state as legal cannabis shops will be doing this year. A loophole was discovered in the law that allows them to sell things like stickers at an exorbitant price and then give away cannabis as part of the sale. There's an effort now in the state legislature to pass a bill that would crack down by creating new regulations along with criminal and civil penalties. A joint statement from Senator Tom O'Mara and Assemblyman Phil Palmazano and Assemblyman Chris Friend uh, put out this statement. 
New York State needs to stop the proliferation of illegal marijuana sticker stores throughout the region, we represent and statewide. These illegal operations diminish the quality of life and risk the safety of the communities and neighborhoods where they operate. New York State is establishing a legal and appropriately regulated network of adult use recreational marijuana dispensaries with all the necessary safeguards. While we oppose the legalization of marijuana from the outset, if it's going to go forward, it needs to take place under a legally established system with the appropriate oversight. We need to make it clear that these illegal sticker stores cannot operate and that they are criminal and civil consequences for any owners who continue to do so. It is unclear how much support this democratic measure uh, will have. We shall see. Um, and being a DC girl, pretty much that's all we have. We call them I-71 shops. Um, and if New York doesn't get a handle on these, uh, they are going to run amok. Um, I don't think they're necessarily a terrible thing, but they need to be fucking regulated. Like everything else in this industry, there needs to be regulations. Um, and basically it's just another extension of the illicit market. Um, something needs to be done. This is Gretchen Pride, Nine News. Gretchen, you know ain't nothing going to be done about this. this is New York. There's New York. They're not doing anything about this. I love what Justin says about this. He says they will just switch to social clubs and in parentheses, social equity clubs. We shall see. Yeah. Um, I, I hope they up their game and sell a bit more than stickers. We have some lovely uh, uh, retail in our uh, D.C. shops. Well, you guys, you guys have some really nice uh, I-71 shops, huh? We you do. Been, you can get shirts, them? you can get bags, you can get all sorts of things. You, you can, can get, get the bag? Yeah, they, we, they sell anything pretty much. <laughs> they sell they sell helium tanks. I'm sure Not they sell balloons too. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they would. Um, I, I think it'll be interesting to see what they consider a good criminal penalty for this. Exactly. I mean, you know, they, they started off saying, oh, you know, no one should go to jail for weed. OK, mm -hmm. and now it sounds like they're backtracking on that whole statement. And it sounds like they're getting ready to lock people up for weed. But I'm willing to bet that there's going to be major pushback from the social justice warriors out there that are going to hinder any progress on any type of action like that. And the trap shops, a.k.a. the sticker shops in New York are going to thrive forever. Well, here's here's a perfect example of regulation and stifling what the people want because it's all demand driven. These shops won't open if there's no demand. And in New York, if they got their shit together and they were actually, you know, like smart about opening up their dispensaries and how they were rolling out their program, then this wouldn't happen and they wouldn't have this issue. But when you have 18 million people that live within a seven square mile, you know, radius you know, you can just open up a shop for a couple months and go completely unnoticed by any law enforcement. I mean, that's just how it's going to go. That's how it's traditionally been. New York's that kind of market. And it happens everywhere. It, like D.C., it happens anywhere that they fuck up the rollout of their regulation. Hold on. It's well, still going on here in L.A. I'm wondering. <laughs> that's again. They, when you yeah. fuck up the rollout of the regulation, that's what you get. And I'm wondering if this would be a question in any of our clubhouse audience, if anyone's from New York. Um, is if these sticker stores are in response to them looking at the different pop-up shops. I mean, there were pop-up shops before, but now they've actually, I guess, read the law, found the loophole. Uh, so they're technically not breaking the law. Um, and so I'm wondering if the... If well, the they're, they're not breaking the law. They're, they're not breaking the law because there is no enforcement on any laws. for. They, they, say, no, they said Jason, you can have, Jason, you can Jason, have Jason, weed. Jason, Jason, bless your heart. Uh, 
pick up a, a law and read it for once. I, I do. I actually write them. Breaking the law because they are allowed to give away cannabis, just like in D.C. You're allowed to share and give it away. Uh, so these folks aren't breaking the law. They need to change the law That's and the regulations to get rid of that. Wow. Um, total, total, I'm wondering total bullshit. If, if, you're not going to be able to change the law to say you can't give away weed. Okay, that's just is, not is reality. This, is this the is this the trap shops uh, finally reading the law and finding a way around it, or is this something it, it that was there before that matter. we did not see? No, this is definitely no, not is, the trap shops reading. Matter. No, this is definitely matter. not the trap shops reading the law. This is some savvy lawyer going and coercing all the trap shops around one one kind of legal defense. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. It's all up to the interpretation of that law. How the law is written, as we know, Jason, you know this very well, it doesn't matter. If they say the law states you can't, you can only sell two ounces of weed per transaction, and one person goes into multiple stores and buys multiple ounces of weed, that's you're still committing. Oh, yeah. You're, you're, from, you're, you're from Colorado. You're an expert in looping. We know, we know how experts, this looping experts out there. We've seen this movie out here, and it doesn't matter. <laughs> What the what the law intends to actually you know argue? It's the spirit of law, how it's how it's interpreted by the judicial person, whoever judge, magistrate, wherever you're at. That's what matters. So those people might not be committing a crime, but I promise you, they will be made an example of. What do you got to say on this, Sean? You got your yeah. hand up over there. I just had a vision about ten years of this show still going. You're going to be talking about the exact same shit. The illicit market <laughs> enforcement. Because at the end of the day, the real problem is just the stupid tax and regulate model or the overtax and absurdly regulated model. Uh, you know, the, the black illicit freedom, traditional market, whatever you call it, you can't crack down on law, uh, landlords and push it out. You can't go into shops and push it out. It will just morph into a new supply chain. I remember the weed I got delivered on Park Avenue when I was on Wall Street came from a, a, a you know, pizza delivery guy in a pizza box right mm -hmm. so at the end of the day this is this whole discussion is absurd we have a problem and the problem is that broken model we were given which elevates a few license holders to partner with government and make it about taxes and once government makes it about taxes they're the top in the partner game and, and we're all screwed right now because all the bad outcomes of the illicit market whether it be the environment the illegal labor not the protections of a legal market still exist for the vast majority. So what the hell did we do? Okay. Well, and I, I don't know if how, how they're going to look at it when it's in New York, but I've spoken with a number of these shops in DC about their intentions. And a number of these guys, when a market opens up and it's actually, DC is a bit different because we don't have a adult use market. Uh, but when one opens up, these guys tell me from their shops, they want to go for licenses. They want to be a part of the system. Um, they're all, I, don't, I know you don't believe they, me, they, but want, yes, they want to be selling two-year-old weed. They want to be selling two-year-old weed. I don't know what you're talking about when it comes to All the weed, weed in New York, really, it's legal. It's all like a year and a half old. I was not talking about New York. I was talking about Washington. <laughs> um, but my point is that it's the same type of shop. And some people are looking at this as a pathway to legalization. And perhaps that is the way that the New York legislature should be looking at this as a way to help uh, move these people towards uh, licensing. Oh, yeah, just, and how just permit and license every every bodega. Just why not? What the hell? You know? Let's do it. I mean, at least it'd be regulated. Jesus Christ. You love the free market. Let's do this thing. Come on. Stop being a wuss. 
I mean, I mean, I'm all for it, but I just, I just know that I just know that it's never going to fly because of uh, all of this socialist equity going on out there. But we do have Stephen up from the clubhouse audience to comment on this, and Stephen up from Humboldt County. What do you have to say about this, Stephen? No, no, no. You're missing my, my, where I'm from. I'm from Trinity County. Oh, Trinity County. That's all right. Same difference. Where, where it's all north. Mendocino wish they were from, but uh, <laughs> nonetheless, you know. Um, so from the tippy top of Washington State to the to the San Diego border, um, trap shop rules. And when the the fines for growing cannabis is less than the freaking cost of licensing and legitimacy, you got a freaking problem, okay? Because for every one licensed farm, there's freaking at least 10 unlicensed farms here in trinity nobody does anything about the unlicensed farms why because they have to get warrants they have to get a freaking crew together that all costs so much more money well, and they're not going to get anything but a small petty fine out of well steven Period. steven that's if they get the fine steven isn't one other thing they have to do they have to investigate to know what's going on over there and yes, have to sir. have, have, yes, have to have they something have to of a way in diligence and get a warrant yep exactly they have to do their due diligence and get a Warrant. How much do you and think that cost them to do that? that? Too much bureaucracy for them. It's too much when they're already pulling in all the taxes, all the funds off the people trying to be legal. And as somebody who's been trying to be legal in Trinity County for the last five freaking years, I say six actually, because I joined the uh, the program as uh, um, an entry level to help promote the program uh, of legalization, which I feel like a fool for and a heel for doing. But, um, you know, nonetheless, when, when, when the fines are cheaper than the, the licensing, you've got a freaking problem. And, um, and, every freaking county country state freaking from every portion of the government thought they're they were all going to get rich off of this when the, when the when the cannabis farmer can't even pull five hundred dollars a pound how are they supposed to get rich off of it no 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 i don't think so but again thank you for letting me on stage as always jason you're the shit i appreciate you all for having this show and you know what let the trap house rule <laughs> let the trap house rule oh man that was that was a good one it's like cider house rules trust yeah me. yeah uh, we got we got to keep it moving though we got to go pay a quick bill we're gonna be right back everybody you want to grow some of the best weed in the world then you must start with the best genetics in the world go to www.dnagenetics.shop to order regular feminized or auto flower beans all of your favorite DNA genetics cultivars such as Kosher Kush, Skywalker Kush, and oh yeah, Chocolate Truffle Shuffle. Boasting more cannabis awards for their award-winning genetics than any other company in the world. Remember to go to www.dnagenetics.shop to see why our Terps don't lie. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, Rico isn't back yet, but he should be here soon. He's getting his car towed, everybody, so he'll be back soon. So I'm just going to hop in to my story. Are you ready for this, Gretchen? I can't oh, wait. man. Better it's be pretty good. good. Oh, man. Trust me. If it's my story, you already know it's good just because of mm -hmm. that. Exactly. Since my, st my, my story comes on it comes out of a state that we don't typically cover here on the news that often, but they happen to make some headlines today because the debate on adult use marijuana in Hawaii could hinge 
on the regulation of medical cannabis and you won't believe some of these arguments these people are saying but let's we're going to keep on keep it rolling hawaii health and law enforcement authorities are having a hard time keeping up with the rapidly growing and changing cannabis marketplace that could end up creating resistance to legalizing adult use cannabis unless the state health department can bring other aspects of the cannabis industry under control they say the proliferation of edible candy-like products that include Delta-8 THC extracted from hemp has happened without any state law or regulation to protect consumers. The development of these edibles industry, as well as the growth of medical cannabis outside of regulated dispensaries, is challenging for the state, while some lawmakers feel getting control of those aspects is a perspective or prerequisite to legal adult-use cannabis. A stroll through Waikiki can turn up a number of shops offering all kinds of cannabis, hemp, and CBD products, almost all legal, at least for now. Unregulated Delta-8 THC from hemp is causing the most concern. At a hearing Saturday, Tai Chang of Aloha Green Holdings, the state's largest medical cannabis dispensary operator, said he supports regulating Delta-8 because it's not clear how it's manufactured. I mean, it is pretty clear how it's manufactured, actually. But nonetheless, he says, uh, because the Delta-8 product is untested product that is sold at gas stations and hemp stores, there could be long-range damaging effects. Only because they're sold at those stores, I ask. But nonetheless, that's what Chang had to say. Chang also said the product itself is actually of value as medicine, providing lower uh, hallucinatory punch while building appetite for cancer patients. I'm not sure if I'm buying that, but okay. Even though shops say they only sell to adults, a look in uh, main in at in a mainland distributor's catalog includes many products packaged in kid appealing ways including sour candy rolls uh, house health and homeless chair uh, Della Bellotti said there are many reports of the products finding their way to kids in a quote she says we are very concerned that all of these products are dangerous to children that is what the house is going to be focused on she said Federal laws and regulations are trying to catch up with the evolving market and the new chemistry, so advocates of, of liberal cannabis laws resist an outright ban in Hawaii. Nico Lavrens of the Drug Policy Forum of Hawaii said the focus should be on regulation. In a quote, he says, it really doesn't make sense to criminalize this component of cannabis right now at this time, and we should wait for further direction from the federal government of all places, Loren said. I can't believe he's saying that, but okay. A medical marijuana cooperative uh, farm on, on Oahu's North Shore, which the health department says has over 10,000 plants grown by caregivers for over 1,000 patients, is also raising concerns that non-dispensary medical cannabis is out of control, according to House and Health and Homelessness Chair Della Bellotti. She says, the licensed dispensaries are only allowed to have 5,000 plants. We know this, 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 this coop, this co-op has 10,000 plants under one roof, she said. Clearly, there is a disparity. Health Department Chief of Cannabis Control Michelle Nakata said because the farm is supported 
by card-carrying patients and their caregivers, the only enforcement tool the department has is revoking is revoking is their medical marijuana cards, which they do not want to do. And in quote, we still want caregivers to be allowed to cultivate for the patients that they provide care to, Nakata said. Uh, what we want to do is limit the number of cards that can be stacked on a particular grow site. Belgatti said the fear is that with so many plants under cultivation and so many people involved in, in involved in the single site, there could be leakage of medical marijuana into the community. Let me tell you something that makes absolutely no sense, because if you have 5000 plants here and 5000 plants here, you still have 10,000 plants, which is going to give you the same possibility of leakage. But nonetheless, we're going to con continue on. The owner of the care, Wayalaya, uh, Jason Hanley, said the co-op is completely legal under the rules governing caregiver cultivation and caregivers can work together to raise up to 10 plants per patient at affordable prices which is a threat to dispensary industry all of this could um could have an impact on whether lawmakers approve adult adult use sales because if the unsatisfied state can't uh, control incoming new products on medical marijuana they won't be able to manage adult use cannabis either the medical system has to be sound before we start looking at expansion nikita said the state Senate is expected to be friendlier to adult use cannabis legislation, but any new laws need the support of both houses and the governor, they said. And oh man, this is just looking to be a big showdown in Hawaii. What do y'all have to say about this? This is Jason Beck reporting for the High at Nine News Hour. What do y'all think? Well, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, I think more states, and this is just going to continue to be a problem, uh, need to turn to the feds. And I know we don't want to turn to the feds, but that's what states are going to keep falling back onto is that they don't know what to do. They don't know where to turn with their regulations. Uh, and we need the federal government to give guidance uh, for this industry to move forward. And it may not move forward in the way we want, but it has to go somewhere. And relying on the states to just keep coming up with their own answers when they have no experience uh, is not the way to do it. I mean, what do, you, what do you think about them hinging all this uh, effort over on the Delta 8 and saying how oh, it's such an unregulated product? And then you have the people that are selling it saying, hey, we really think that there's medical value here. This is a safe product. I, I do. I, I do believe that there is value in the science. I think so many problems with Delta 8 is because there are bad actors in the space because people don't know what they're getting. So you can't come to uh, the discussion with an informed opinion. I, I don't think that we should be selecting specific cannabinoids and saying, oh, they're the devil, um, simply because somebody has found a new way to extract them and synthesize them. I mean, this is something that we're going to continue to see as the science develops and people are looking for ways to make this plant uh, legal. And I, I always fall back on to you need to look at the science. And this industry is just going to keep hating because they hate science, apparently. Uh, but you need to look we at the love science. bro science. We love bro. I science. know you love bro science. Let's try some real science here um, <laughs> and actually look at what this plant can do. And I think that there are going to be a lot of massive developments if we start to regulate it and actually look for good actors and good product. Um, and I think you're going to find quality things. And I think we need to stop saying Delta 8 is the devil because and I know I get why all the arguments against Delta 8. But there are arguments against Delta 8 because it's unregulated. I have a question, Gretchen. 
Yes. If you polish a turd, is it still a turd? Jason, uh-huh. I, I want to answer that question more than anyone. Look at where you're sitting. Mar-a-Lago looks pretty polished. Right, girls, polished. That's right. We got full staff over here. The point is, you need to look at the real science. No one's looking at the science. Go for it, Sam. You're you're the you're the extractor. You're the chemist up here in the room. Go for it, buddy. Gretchen, look, I I I respect what you're saying. I mean, because you're like, hey, let's just keep going with this because we don't know where it's going to lead. So respect. But here's the reality: is unregulated. It is regulated. It's regulated by the farm bill, bill, which regulates CBD. Okay, so let me just Who? put it this way. He's saying that it's regulated under the farm bill, so right. it technically is regulated, even though there's regulated. no regulation. Well, well, it's regulated just as much as any other dietary supplement, any other natural product out there. Okay, so here's the reality, right? Is the shit that they're putting in these products with the CBD, with the D8, is really the problem, okay? So so if we're going to talk about what's healthy, what's beneficial, there's a lot of shit that people eat out there, that people consume out there that isn't good for them, that's worse for them than the DA, than whatever whatever they could synthesize and isomerize in a lab. Okay, so that is that is one. Two is, you know, it's innovation. Why are we trying to stifle innovation is really the argument. It's not about like, hey, let that happen. It's like, look, these guys are creative. Uh, you have a you have a surplus. You have just this inundation of CBD of whatever because that's just like, you know, this gluttonous way that we we live here and we wanna we wanna produce you know a financial benefit for ourselves. So there's so much shit out there that these you know innovative geniuses I'm gonna call them come up with these creative ways to to create these different isomers of THC which have, have benefits and obviously there's so much research that needs to be done. So. It's like we're not stopping, you know, vaping of, you know, propylene glycol of non-ionic surfactants. So why would we stop this at this point based on little research? So the point is there just needs to be more time and more research, but everything is in moderation. And if it's pure, if it's a pure D8 product and it's not like a bunch of unknown compounds there's in no it. there's no such thing as a pure day d8 product bro, there because it's a, there's there's super no. high efficiencies with that stuff there's 98 percent 99% D8. Is that Primo? What? <laughs> he said, is that Primo? Is that Primo Delta A? Yeah, but, but it's, about, it's about whatever. It's about the yeah, percentage of yeah. in there that's really the problem. So you have a low testing D8, and they can test it well. I mean, the, the, they're creating pure product to, to use as standards for their own calibration. They're not buying standards from like ResTech. They're making it in their lab they can make a purer product than any lab standard out there right now. So those guys that are really good at this, they're doing their own, you know, quality control. And that's the problem is, you know, there, there's a bunch of people doing their own quality control that are val- validating this stuff and it's getting to the market. So until there's, you know, just a lab that has a, a good standard that everyone knows is the best, everyone else is just going to use whatever lab gives them the highest test scores right now. Yeah. We, we we do we, we we have Dr. Felicia up from the clubhouse audience and Sh- Sean, you have something you want to say? Go ahead, Sean. No, I just continue to find the commonality that we're talking about controlling a market that no one's been able to control. I mean, at the end of the day, whether it's Delta Eight, medical, recreational, uh, it's all a market for consumer demand. And at the end of the day, there is no control, and you can't control it. So I just find the irony in this whole thing. Well, Dr. Felicia, what do you have to say on this, Dr. Felicia? 
Hey, everybody. Um, just because we're trying to regulate Delta 8 doesn't mean we're trying to outlaw it. We're just trying to protect the consumer from people who will generate the product and put out a bad product and have a bunch of residual solvents that we don't even know what they are. People are having acute reactions, taking some of this stuff immediately. That's that's the problem we're trying to avoid. We It's going to take time to see if taking a product that's only Delta 8 is safe in the long term. That That's not going to be visible right now. It's going to take years for that to be shown. But for the present moment, there are people having reactions because there are toxins being generated in the mm -hmm. process because everybody's skill is not the same. And everybody doesn't care about whether they harm somebody or not. They're, they care more about profit. So that's what we mean by regulating Delta 8. We're not, nobody's trying to outlaw. We're just trying to regulate it and protect the consumer. Yeah, we're just trying to have it go through the same type of standards that other cannabis products go through as far as testing and regulation to ensure that the public is able to purchase a clean, safe product. This is why you're wrong, Jason, because what you're talking about, regulation, everything drives up the cost. And once you drive up the cost, you fuel the black market. And none of the shit you're talking about in terms of testing and safety exists on the black market. So you're actually just prioritizing rich people's health over poor people because poor people are the ones who are forced on the black market. Oh boy, cynical Sean. Always, well, the price doesn't have so to be cynical. ridiculous. The, the price doesn't have to be ridiculous. That's the you know the Chaz and the Brads uh, jacking up the price, and our politicians pulling up the taxes. It doesn't have to be ridiculously priced. Mm -hmm. You know, right. just like junk food. Junk food is cheaply priced, but organic food is is more expensive. We we've got to shift our priorities and make medicine more affordable, as in cannabis and psychedelics. And more and jack up the prices of pharmaceuticals. You know, you do that. You I mean put your priorities in the right place. I mean, I, I, I like I like what Justin said on this. He said uh, it's a compromise. We will trade Delta Eight for being uh, being illegal for decriminalized cannabis. I think that's a solid trade. I would totally trade for that. Descheduled cannabis. <sighs> I, yes. I, I no, Jason Beck. I, I mean, you guys want everything legalized. You have to do everything. You can't pick and choose. And I can you pick regulate anything. everything. I'm, and a, I'm a judge Felicia and a winner. Is, Dr. Felicia <laughs> is exactly right. And she definitely yeah. got to the point that I was trying to make some on that I don't think you were getting from me was that I'm not talking about <laughs> uh, making Delta 8 illegal. I'm talking about regulating the process and what goes into the whole manufacturing of it. Uh, so that it is a safe product for consumers. I have no problem keeping Delta 8 around as long as it uh, goes through safety protocols. I take Jason. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. I agree with you. I, I think it's true freedom market. Is D8 the, the last true freedom market? The last passion no. of hope? No, no, because we still got HHC and THCO, yeah. and we're only talking about Delta 8. Yeah. And, I, just, and I, wasn't, I wasn't disagreeing with you, Gretchen, but you're, you know, it's like what I'm saying is that it's about just putting this in the hands of people that know what they're doing. And I think we're all echoing the same thing. I just think that, um, you know, there's there's never going to be a stop on innovation. You have a bunch of entrepreneurs out here. They're very clever. So it's we're just going to see a, a one one degree of separation of some some other form factor in the future. So and uh, 
uh, you know, in in regards to this, just so you know, Simon, it is okay to totally disagree with Gretchen. Just so you know. No, that's cool. We're, she was, she's good. Gretchen's good. She's, <laughs> Gretchen's, fighting, Gretchen's fighting for our uh, for our for our people in the game. So. I'm oh man, we got to keep it moving, man. Coming up next, he finally made it. That's right. He was a little late today, but it's gonna be okay yeah. because he's the dope dad himself, trying to take Zozo to school and end up getting a flat tire from a nail in the hood. That's Love right. Is the dope dad himself, Rico Lamite. Low pro tires, low profile tires, and uh, potholes do not mix. So, uh, thank you, Jason. My story today, my headline today is from uh, News 12, The Bronx. New York takes a look at new after school class focused on educating kids about cannabis. New after school program in New York's taking the lead on educating kids about cannabis and its impacts. Should they be heralded for the proactive stance or shunned for jumping ahead of government led efforts? Y'all remember how shitty D.A.R.E. programming was? Cops would come into your classrooms back in the 80s and 90s and actually pop open a seat case to show kids a bunch of drugs in plastic bags looking like Halloween candy. Keep in mind, most of these kids probably never would have known what a crack rock looked like if it weren't for that cop. Ten years later, same kids, a dope fiend after figuring out where to find Officer Smith's forbidden candy. All because an adult told you to just say no and your adolescent intuition makes you do the exact opposite. Well, it looks like D.A.R.E. 2.0 is being launched in the Bronx, New York at PSIS 218 Rafael Hernandez Dual Language Magnet School. While the majority of pupils head home as the final afternoon bell rings, a decent number of seventh graders choose to stay after a while for the little supplemental learning on weed. This junior high's ground zero for a new kind of uh, extracurricular programming that looks to take the educational reins away from the government leaders who failed to do so uh, and do the same thing in other major cities. Per the article, those behind the program say it's needed now that the legal market's up and running in New York City. Each week, students can be found filling a classroom after the school day ends to learn more about why the city no longer smells like garbage and exhaust fumes. And it smells like weed. The Women's Housing and Economic Development Company, a.k.a. Weedco or Wedco, um, after-school programming is currently running at three Bronx, Bronx school campuses. They're Just Ask Me or Jam session. Uh, they have traditionally aimed to create a safe space to talk about taboo, uh, taboo topics like sexual education and, you know, like a drug use in the, in the hood and stuff like that. But the hottest taboo issue surely straining teenager parent relations in New York right now is cannabis. So naturally, they added that topic to their curriculum for sixth through eighth graders. High school senior Aliyah Cruz, a Wedco after-school alumnus, now works currently uh, with program kids as a peer mentor. Cruz told News 12 that she thinks it's a good idea that they're shown these kinds of things, even though now it's more accessible and legal. I think that we should use that advantage wisely, she said. Although I praise the school for having the guts to even run this program, I can only imagine the backlash they're setting themselves up for. If lawmakers on a federal level can't agree as to what cannabis is and is not, and actual plant medicine educators and experts globally have been have been and continue to be silenced for t speaking truths about what it can and cannot do, why would I want my kids taking in a bunch of information at school about it? Where to go? Are they going to take responsibility when my kids get locked up or even popped for, for relaying unchecked inf information uh, that they learned about weed from an after-school project? 
Doubt it. And if y'all have a minute to check the video, it's less than three minutes long, so you, I think you should. Um, you might agree with me on my thinking that it's irresponsible for News 12 to even put out a story like this with no interviews with adults or background information shared about the contents of Wedco's curriculum or who they're um, who they have as program facilitators. As a parent, the only thing I see here is teachers potentially loading kids' heads up with what they believe are facts about cannabis. They may have nothing but good intentions here, but who's supplying the educational source material? Who's funding this course? What are the local parent reactions to this, this whole thing going on? There's so many questions that I think that need to be answered about this story, and unfortunately, um, I just don't think we'll get them until something goes awry as a result. Maybe I'm overthinking it, but as a parent in today's America, I want to know what my kids are learning at school and why they're being taught that. I'm Rick Lamit, dopest dad on the street for Hyatt 9 News. Uh, what do y'all think about this? So this is an indoctrination after school class, Rico, is what you're telling me? I don't know what it is, man. It's, it's, it sounds like a bunch of older high school kids trying to teach younger high school kids um, um, what weed is and what it's not. Is there a rolling class involved? who's educating these 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 kids that's what i'm asking is there is there a rolling class involved it should be there it should be a rolling class should be uh how to break that shit down into dimes and nicks (laughs) i don't know i'm willing to bet i'm willing to bet too that one of the things that they pass out here in this class is the qr code so then that way they can teach the students how to identify a real weed store from a trap weed store Real talk. Or, or, the, or, the, or the fake Mylars or the fake Mylar bags, Jason. That's how they're teaching. I mean, yeah. they're, those, aren't, those aren't fake Mylar. Those are real Mylar bags. You know what I mean? They have real the, the they have off, COAs. The knockoff, they have, the knockoff brands. The they knockoff. have real COAs. Might not be the COA from that product, but it's a real COA on the bag. <laughs> That's hard. Hilarious. I agree with you, uh, Rico. Uh, the, we don't know what the content is, but Peer-administered programs are typically more effective. People tend to listen to people who see the world through their eyes. So the content is what's going to really matter. I would hope that it's more balanced, but the bulk of the adolescents' um, research on cannabis is very uh, reefer madness-oriented. So I, I do have some concerns about it. Yeah, I think I think yeah. it was very irresponsible for for News Twelve to even put out this story without having any adults talk about it or any of the runners of the program or representatives from Wedco even on that interview. They just interviewed a high school senior and said, "I think it's great." <laughs> She's probably. I, I wonder if he was bribed with some weed. Could <laughs> maybe yeah maybe the interviewer interviewer was bribed with some weed and they got a free bag for doing this interview I, maybe I it was a delta eight gummy <laughs> where they get it from in Times square <laughs> <laughs> they got it next door to the school they got the little the little bodega next to the door to the school oh man the, the little bodega delivers now rico yeah. I'm not I'm not sure what you're referring to. Did you watch the story? I watched the video. Well, it has the Weed Co. program director is being interviewed in it. And she doesn't break what down where they're getting the information from. Okay, yeah. well then have a problem with the interview, but it's not like they didn't talk to an adult. You're acting like all they're doing is talking to twelve year olds about pot. The twelve year olds that's what they were doing. About what they were they were doing. Yeah. Where, where, where they where they getting their curriculum adult? from? Yeah, the adults. I don't know where they're getting their curriculum from. However, 
I mean, you act like this reporter did nothing. They did talk to an adult. You act like the they're saying, hey, come here, little kid. Here's some candy. Yeah, the, talk here's to some me. candy. The, the adult in there talks about <laughs> they did it uh, for sexual education. They've, they've been at the forefront of sexual education and taboo uh -huh. topics for years. And the little okay. girl's like, yeah, we do it. It's great. And, and you know, and coming from other students, it's awesome. Like, All right. No well, if you would her, like to go to the wonder, WeCo website, wonder, they do have their financials listed and you can dive a bit more into it and follow the money like you like to do. I wonder if uh, I wonder if they're going to have a seed exchange program at the end of the class year. They should have a cannabis cup. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about this, Sean? I, I know uh, you have an opinion. I know you have an opinion. No, I mean, I think, you know, having four kids who are through high school into college with one left. I mean, we can't even get anything but abstinence education taught as sex ed in 90 percent of the public schools. So how the hell are we going to have any real discussions about anything? That's um, not what they're teaching kids in school nowadays. I, I hate to tell you this, but uh, I have four kids in school and you have to get permission slips to from your parents to really participate in anything beyond just say no to sex, just say no to drugs. I mean, that is the mantra going on in 90% of the schools across America. Now, the mantra at lunch and recess and on the phone and the Snapchat between the kids is a totally different conversation. But the conversation allowed with the halls of our high schools and junior highs is insanely muted in terms of the broad spectrum of what's out there. And the other thing, too, is it's very hard for teachers to really teach anything, having many friends in the teaching community. Because literally any topic they teach on, they're met with three to four parents per topic that disagrees with what's being said. Uh, you know, we've lost sight that there's actual facts and commonality amongst us that we should teach. And uh, we're being controlled by a small minority. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's that's a fact right there. My parents. That part is true. And that's true. Yeah, right, I believe so that. And, and per your request, uh, uh, Gretchen, I'm on yep. your supporters page right now. And it's nothing yep. but. New York Go City to the Police. about section. Yeah, Go City, to financials. New York, City, and you New, can see New York Department of Cultural Affairs. This is there. This is there. Roxborough President, National Endowment of the Arts, uh, New York City Administration for Children's Services, New York City Council, uh, Department of Cultural Affairs, Department of Education, Health and Mental Hygiene, Small Business Services, the police. Like, this is there. That sounds like it's all government-funded programs. Well, what's the problem? What are you talking about? I don't know what you're looking at. He's following the money, Gretchen. You couldn't keep up. Are you uh, pulling this up for the financial? <laughs> huh? What, huh? <laughs> Oh all God. these, yeah, all these people is, is supported by all the government uh, initiatives. It sounds like Dare 2.0. Mm -hmm. It sounds like that they so are to, being. I'm sorry, what? It's, 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 they're saying, "I dare you to try this weed." Is what they're really saying in all these classes. Hey, Jason, uh, did you say? Uh, didn't you ask? Uh, um, can you polish a turd? If you polish a turd, it's still a turd. That's, I mean, I was asking Gretchen that, yeah, earlier. Rico, I think yeah. I think you're hating on a, a after school program without many facts behind what you're saying. That's why I know. And this is why right I now. said I think it was irresponsible for New <laughs> to put this out without any background information on who's supplying the information for this. Who's supplying okay. the education? Yeah, I want to know. I want to know well, where they're getting their curriculum. Are there other any cannabis? There's no cannabis supporters of this program. If there's no Be cannabis because doctors, they're not giving them money. Is that it's what you're all, talking about? It's all, it's all funded by Project Sam, huh, Rico? Is that what you're telling us? It looks to me like it's it's McGruff, man. It's McGruff. McGruff. Oh, McGruff the crime dog. Oh, McGruff. yeah. 
Oh man, that was. I would not call the National Endowment gotta, for the Arts McGruff. We we, we got to keep it moving. We are so behind schedule today, you guys. Oh, so Let's behind. Flying into LAX and you want to taste some of the best weed in the world? Then stop by LAXCC, the closest dispensary to LAX, located at eight three three two Lincoln Boulevard, and open from eight a.m. to ten p.m. seven days a week. Always make LAXCC your first stop when you touch down in LA and score like a winner. And don't forget to tell them I sent you and mention like to get high at nine. For ten percent off your full order, the uh, thoughts and opinions in general, overall shade thrown at high and nine news are those of the individual speakers and not those of any other speaker or its followers. The statements made do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and our speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, territory, or of any authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationship, and our sponsors do not imply or constitute any endorsement by us or the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of any speaker on stage. If you're an easily offended person, the show is probably not for you, and maybe you should go and sit in one of these New York classrooms and see what they're actually teaching your kids. Advocated in 14 year industry vets worked in regulated markets across the US from CO, CA, FL, MA, and most recently, NJ. He's also an award winning solvent extraction pioneer and a product innovator who specializes in licensing, facility design, and build out. Coming to the stage next is a fellow dope dad and my man himself, representing Santa Barbara. Come on, Rosani, what you got for us today, my man? Hello, hello, hello. Uh, from Marijuana Moment. Again, our buddy Kyle Yeager, again, with some uh, interesting news, some some industries up in arms over cannabis. So most recently here, lawmakers must step up and address federal state marijuana conflict, trucking executive tells Congress amid labor shortage. The state and federal marijuana policy conflict is creating a litigious environment, in quotations, from for the trucking industry and contributing to the challenges of major labor shortage. The, uh, the head of the American Trucking Association, ATA, told Congress on Wednesday. During a hearing before the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, Rep. Michael Bost, a, a Republican from Illinois, asked ATA President Chris Speer about how much of the state-level legalization movement is impacting the trucking sector, particularly as it concerns drug testing requirements for their drivers. Spears said that it was an issue that keeps me at, up at night, in quotations, emphasizing his concern about impaired driving and the legal liability for the industry if a person gets into an accident under the influence. We're regulated by the federal government. We cannot have anyone impaired using marijuana or any other narcotic op operating this equipment, he said. So this channel conflict between the federal rules and states allowing this ambiguity is creating a litigious environment and we're caught right in the middle of it. Somebody, somebody's got to step up to the plate and put safety first. Want to smoke weed at home? Question mark. Smoke weed at home. If it's legal, fine, he said. Do 
Do not get behind the wheel of an 80,000 pound vehicle. We need to have strong standards and we need to enforce the law. At the same time, he said there, the issue is tough, quotation in quotation, because there's a 78,000 worker deficit in the trucking sector and he wants to incentivize people to apply. This is an issue that I pose to you all. We've got to work on. Spear didn't explicitly acknowledge the challenges resulting from federal drug screening requirements for truckers, but that appears to be a major contributing factor to the labor shortage. Not people wanting to drive while impaired, but failing drug tests that can that can detect THC metabolites for weeks or months after a person consumes. Tens of thousands of commercial truckers are testing positive for marijuana as part of the federally mandated screenings. Recent data from the Department of Transportation, uh, the DOT shows. In 2022 alone, 40,916 truckers tested positive for inactive THC metabolites. The number increased by 32% compared to 2021 in just a year. And, and a large fraction of the truckers who tested positive haven't returned to the sector. Last year, DOT reiterated that the workforce it regulates is prohibited from using marijuana and will continue to be tested for THC, regardless of state cannabis policy. However, the department issued a notice in 2020 stating that it would not be testing drivers for CBD or D8 for that matter, or HHC. Rep. Earl Blumenauer from Oregon <clears throat> sent a letter to the head of the DOT last year emphasizing that the agency's policies on drug testing truckers and other commercial drivers for marijuana are unnecessarily costing people their jobs and contributing to the supply chain issues. The department did uh, did propose a new drug testing policy last year that could have significant implications for workers who use marijuana off the job. Current DOT policy mandates urine testing, but it recommended that testing of oral saliva be added to the alternate options. Depending on frequency of use, THC is generally detectable in saliva anywhere from one to 24 hours after use, in contrast to two weeks or, or months of urine-based tests. A top Wells Fargo analyst said last year that there's one main reason for rising co costs of, and worker shortages in the transportation sector, federal marijuana criminalization and resulting drug testing mandates that persist even as more states enact legalization. Last year, a co uh, coalition of more than two dozen congressional Democrats filed, filed a bill on promoting workplace investment to combat climate change, and they want to boost the workforce nationwide by protecting people in legal marijuana states from being penalized due to federal drug testing policies. Meanwhile, a senator sent a letter to the DOT last year seeking an update on the status of the federal report into research barriers that are inhibiting the development of the standardized test for marijuana impairment on the roads. The department the department is required to complete the report by November 2023 under a large-scale infrastructure bill that President Joe Biden signed. Experts and advocates have emphasized that evidence isn't clear on the relationship between THC concentrations in the blood and impairment. A study published in 2019, for example, concluded that those who drive at the legal THC limit, which is typically between 2 to 5 nanograms of THC per milliliter of blood, were not statistically more likely to be involved in an accident compared to people who haven't used marijuana. Very interesting point. Separately, the Congressional Research Service, <clears throat> excuse me, separately, the Congressional Research Service in 2019 determined that while marijuana consumption can affect a person's response times 
and motor performance, studies of the impact of marijuana consumption on drivers' risk of being involved in a crash have produced conflicting results, with some studies finding little or no increased risk of crash after marijuana usage. Another study from last year found by that found that smoking CBD-rich marijuana had no significant impact on driving ability, despite the fact that all studies, all study participants exceeded the per se limit for THC in the blood. That's Simon Razani reporting for High Nine News. Oh man, Simon! Very interesting article today. Very fascinating. Yeah. Very, very interesting. I mean. You, but you know what? Just because these truckers are calling for this doesn't mean that Congress is going to do jack. Well, it's not about just that. I mean, it's like, you know, if you've ever tried to order something in the last couple of years, I mean, it's been a it's been a hassle. It's been a mission trying to get anything. And Hold on, it's, it, it, got... I've been I've been in the grocery store numerous times trying to find certain products and they're never stocked. Never yeah. there. Yeah, it's, and this it's something a, it's I would a, buy all the time before and never there. Like what also, this is as a compounding effect on our economy. So, I mean, it's going to be an issue because of that compounding effect. I mean, you know, as Sean would say, when rich people can't get their shit, you know, they're going to be up in arms about it. So. Jason Beck. Jason yes, Beck. I can't. I love, closer. I love the truck. I love <laughs> truckers, too. I love the truckers. Yeah, I'm with it. Yeah. And I love the ACA. And if you know about the American Truckers Association, they're uh, – their office is about one block from Congress. It is. Um, and so they Depends love on what building you're walking into, but, you know, it could and be I, as many as three or four blocks. Well, whatever. I used okay. to I used to work for uh, the uh, for the chairman of transportation, and mm. we definitely love the truckers. And the truckers hold a lot of clout on the Hill. So if you think their voice is not going to be heard by Congress, I understand. I understand. I understand. They have a, a lot of clout. But what I'm saying in the transportation department, we have an inadequate director known as Pete Buttigieg. I'm not talking okay. about Pete. I'm talking about Congress. Pete does not have a bearing oh, on Pete. Congress. Just saying. You started bringing up the transportation department, so I was just letting you know no, why nothing's no, getting heard. No, 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 I didn't. I brought up the chairman of transportation and infrastructure. It is a, a House committee uh, on the Hill that makes a lot of laws um, so, so that has to do with this. Though. They're the guys who have to deal with this, not good old Mayor Pete. Uh, so, uh, Mayor Pete. Yeah, you sound a bit too pragmatic uh, this morning to be a Republican. You sounded like I'm a rhino. Lately. No, Gretchen, <laughs> Gretchen, here's, the, here's the reality. Here's the reality: is there is the truckers? The truckers can't influence this that much because if they do, it means that the governments, in some way, shape, or form, gonna have to put together some some type of framework for like what is the legal impairment. And right now, there's conflicting, you know, results. And, and there is no legal impairment. There is no legal impairment. Uh, they're gonna Come have on. to put something together. You of know, course, it's you, not. Know, we know that. you know as well no, as no, I we, do. That's all that. BS. Yeah, it is, but they're going to have to do it for everyone else's sake. They have to do it, and if you recall, Jason, from a number of the pieces of legislation that have been put forward, uh, Congress wants to know a legal impairment limit before they will enact legalization. So this is an issue that has to be addressed, whether you like it or not. Let me tell but you the something. Gretchen, aren't Gretchen, be able to Gretchen, you, you know what? Go, go hold on, hold on. Oh, I hear Dr. Felicia. We, Dr. Felicia, we got the doctor in the room. Okay, Gretchen, I have a question for you. Um, yes, ma'am. I think it's a, it's, a, it's, it's a waste of money for them to be looking at the level of what they consider impaired. They have to do a test that actually does the motor skills. So exactly. I think that they should do like they did for the COVID vaccine, incentivize someone to come up 
with a roadside test to see if someone's skills are impaired. It's not about the love, the level of the drug in the body. It's the level of impairment because everybody's going to be all over the all over the graph. We have to figure out how to do portable impairment testing. And if they do like they did with the COVID vaccine and incentivize um, people to do it, we'll have that test for impairment really quick. I, you are 100%. I, I totally agree with you, Dr. Felicia. You're, you're uh, totally Congress, right. Congress, that's what they so, need. Congress needs a way to test for this. And so, that is, so Congress would be the most Congress would be the most efficient way to go, but they, they can't get anything done. I thought you don't think that the, the secretary of transportation could get it done more quickly. Uh, no, I don't. No. OK. Yeah. Oh boy! Well, I'm going to tell you right now. There is one test out there that actually would be sufficient, and it's like a video game that you put over your head, and it measures your reaction time with your eyes as far as when you're seeing things uh, change on the road. And that one would make the most sense to me. And it would be nothing to give all these officers a little Oculus in their trunk and and be able to yeah. do these tests. And that's what would make the most sense. But so, we got to run a quick ad. We got to run a quick ad. Metaverse has all the answers. All right, and we're back, and we're back. So coming up next, we have Sean Kernan. He's the president of Weed for Warriors, the largest veterans organization in the country when it comes to cannabis and protecting veterans' rights when it comes to cannabis. That's right, and he's coming with the veterans' perspective. What do you have to say today, Sean? Thank you, Jason. You know what? We were supposed to talk about this a couple weeks ago. I've been busy, and finally, so thank you for having me on. Um, it really comes down to this mantra we hear year after year after year out of D.C. and our politicians, and that is we've got to protect veterans' benefits for those veterans using cannabis. And we saw a couple weeks ago Gretchen mentioned about uh, Greg Stubbe's bill uh, where he's the Veterans Cannabis Use for Safe Healing Act. That is nothing but a regurgitation of his bill last year, which is nothing but a regurgitation of the many bills before, both on the Democratic and Republican side. I'm going to clear it up. It is an absolute lie that veterans are in danger of losing benefits for being cannabis patients and using cannabis. It absolutely is not an issue. It does not need to be protected and is proof positive. There's no one in D.C. serious about addressing the veteran issue. And so here's the real two issues. Doctors and patients conversations are first and foremost protected by free speech. And that was in Conant versus Walters in 2002. The Ninth Circuit of Appeals said the federal government could not punish or threaten to punish a doctor merely for telling a patient that his or her use of marijuana for medical use is proper. However, because it remains illegal for a doctor to aid and abet a patient to obtain a marijuana or conspire with him or, or who to do so, the court drew the line between protected free speech and prohibited conduct as follows. A physician may discuss the pros and cons of medical marijuana with his or her patient and issue a written or oral recommendation to use marijuana within a bona fide doctor-patient relationship without fear of legal appraisal. So right there, what we have is what doctors have known forever. The federal government can't interfere with me as a doctor 
in my speech to to patients. And that's been uh, adjudicated by the Ninth Circuit. But Gretchen mentioned, I think it was yesterday, something special that the courts don't make the laws, they interpret them. So in 2022, uh, the uh, Grassley-Feinstein bill, the Medical Marijuana and Cannabidiol Research Expansion Act took this head on. And this is why it's so infuriating, signed in 2022. Title three of that bill, doctor-patient relationship. It shall not be a violation of the Controlled Substance Act for a state licensed physician to discuss, one, the currently known potential harms and benefits of marijuana derivatives, including cannabidiol, as a treatment with the legal guardian of the patient or the patient. The currently known harms and benefits of marijuana and marijuana derivatives, including cannabidiol, as a treatment with the patient or the legal guardian of the patient or the physician of the patient as a legal adult. We both have the Ninth Circuit and legislation saying it's not a violation for doctors to talk to patients. VA doctors are state licensed. The VA gets sued all the time by veterans for breaking the law and wins. Bottom line, all this talk about protecting veterans' benefit is a charade. And it's a charade because they don't want to deal with the real issues. Because at the end of the day, the cannabis community, the people in charge, it's about the money. And two, D.C. has never come to the table to address. Did you see how long in in the, the circus it took just to pass medical coverage for those exposed to toxic burn pits? And yet, year after year after year, our representative aides go out and just find bills that have been in the past to save time and put it forth as an answer. So I challenge anyone, name one benefit a veteran has lost. This was the discussion that Sue had with Tom Angel a few years ago, and he never addressed, and why he doesn't talk to us. Why? Because we wanted to correct this bullshit he keeps peddling, and it is bullshit. It has been settled. Veterans have not, did not lose benefits yesterday, years ago, and they do not lose benefits today for talking to their doctor about cannabis. In fact... Feinstein's office believes her section three covers written and oral recommendations. So we've been trying to find doctors at the VA. They tend to be, hey, I got a job I don't want to lose to write this because our senator in California believes what she passed protects VAs through implied consent to write a medical recommendation based on the Connett versus Walters decision in 2002. We are not having an honest conversation in the press, in the propaganda machine, what's really going on in D.C. or at a state level. It is absolute crap what is being going on out there, and we need to wake up or we are never going to get what we want. Can I ask a quick question, Sean? Yeah. Uh, And I have no problem with what you said. My question for you, and this is a genuine question because I would like an understanding, and I'm not a veteran, so I don't know the answer. Uh, but what, where does the military code drop into this? Where, how does that factor in when it comes to military? Uh, well, you, you see, you, you're probably talking about the UCMJ, United Code of Military Justice, yes. a different justice system that belongs to active duty soldiers. Okay. Veterans are not in the military. Veterans are not covered. I could go to a full bird today and pee on his leg. And all that they could do to me is turn me over to civilian police for assault. I'm not in the military. I know owe nothing to the military. I'm a veteran who served. That's it. So the UCMJ has it, it's it's a faulty analogy. I can appreciate where you're going on that. I appreciate you raising that. I'm just that. asking. 
it has but, nothing to do with this. But are not active military treated in the VA system? No. Not at what do you mean no? No, the VA is veterans. They they there's there's actual Bethesda but they go to VA hospitals. No, Bethesda Hospital is not a VA hospital. It's an active duty military hospital. Active duty military, when I was in, you did a bunch of things. We shared civilian hospitals, gorgeous in Panama. Uh, there was gorgeous hospital, <laughs> which, Panama, which Panama. literally was the, the city Panama. and the military hospital. So, you know, people went there in the canal zone. And so it, it, what you find with with the military and veterans is their medical care is awfully in terms of where you get serviced it is very much intertwined with the civilian community. To give you an example, do you remember when Trump, uh, the, I think it was the debt ceiling, and it blew up because people weren't getting paid and it got to the veterans not being pay- taken care of at the VA hospital. I literally went to the VA the day that broke down and they told me, we have no one here. We can't serve you because people aren't getting paid. They didn't come in. I have vets saying that's bullshit. The VA system, this own individual, and they were getting paid. What we found out is, in many cases, the medical care is intertwined with the state system. And so you have VA doctors, you have civilian doctors, all managed and paid by different programs to come up, you know, bring this conglomerate of basic care to veterans so it's not that simple but it, it is convoluted at, at best well, okay. yeah i can understand that like the university of colorado has a va hospital in denver it's sponsored by the university of colorado so it's more like you know it's civilian my uh felicia vascular surgeon at ucla ucla does a tremendous amount of work uh, for the West, uh, the Westwood VA system, uh, so they get a significant amount of overflow. So we have vets getting operated on by UCLA doctors, some of the best in the world. So again, VA can, VA care can be amazing, but it's not standardized. So you can be everything from amazing to really bad. Um, we have Dr. Felicia wants to say something on this. Go ahead, Dr. Felicia. Yeah, I work with an independent contractor, and we see veterans to help them get their disability uh, benefits. And I see veterans every week and i i'm sure that part of this double talk that you're getting in the legislature is because big pharma makes a lot of money off of veterans um, because they're all on not more many of them are on many pharmaceuticals from five to 25 medications so that's probably part of the reason that you get the double talk 100 percent, dr felicia and, and even more than i think it was the government i mean the va itself we're talking about i think I want to say it's over $100 billion in pharmaceutical purchases at one time. I mean, we the VA system, the government system uh, is half a trillion dollars purchased pharmaceuticals last year. That is insane. Yes, it is. And definitely something we need to keep our eye on, uh, Sean. Definitely appreciate your perspective as always on that, you know, coming from a veteran's point of view. And any of the other veterans out there watching, man, we'd love to hear your perspective on this too. Like, what is the VA doing? What are they not doing uh, to help us out in this age of cannabis chaos? But thank you all for tuning in for another episode of High at Nine News. Catch us weekdays at 9 a.m. Pacific and high noon on the East Coast. Big shout out to the live audience members and online supporters. Give us feedback on the daily headlines of chaos known as the developing cannabis industry our vetted industry correspondent team from all over the global community bringing us variety of perspective and adding your expertise and opinions to the conversation the hyatt nine production team cloud media partners house of fuego and jaja simone holding things down in clubhouse keeping our av struggles to an absolute minimum i think we're pretty good today too and to the haters i hope all of your children are taught about weed by mcgruff and dare 2.0 
Finally, Cannabis Sativa L, the reason that we show up and read these headlines daily. We love you very much, and we will be smoking you up through the weekend. It is Tuesday, February 7th, 2023. The show is over, and you've been blessed with today's top industry headlines. We hope it was enough to smoke on, at least until tomorrow. Y'all know who it is. Rico Lamid, the dopest dad in the street, signing off. Remember, when life gives you no place else, you can always turn the fuck up. Take us out, Adam.